A reading from Acts chapter 1. Chapter, sorry, chapter 2. I'm not prepared, am I? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realms of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. These, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's just bow our heads for a prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you would come and help me to speak and give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2007, the um, giant multinational uh, company Nike, who make clothing and footwear and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure you know, they launched an advertising campaign um, which began with a 100-foot-long, 50-foot-high poster on the side of the Cleveland Cavaliers basketball stadium. Um, And it featured LeBron James, uh, a star, one of their stars of the team, who also is reckoned to be one of the world's greatest basketball players ever. And it featured him in a pose with his arms out wide, his head thrown back, looking up to the heavens, and the words, we are all witnesses, written above him giving the sort of the sportsman a, a kind of messiah-like or god-like status as if they didn't have it already. And a young Christian woman um, who, called Brittany Broad, who used to drive past that, that, uh, uh, that poster, decided that she would make her own version of that advertisement, a, a kind of Good Friday version. And so she pictured Jesus on the cross, his head thrown back, looking up, to the heavens, and the words, we are all witnesses, which comes from the passage we heard read in Acts this morning. But I want to go another step further and talk about the fact that perhaps we are all witnesses, not just to the crucifixion, but in this Easter time particularly, to the risen Christ. And in doing so, I want to take headlong on one of the greatest obstacles that the church has had and, 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 the, and Christians have had over the last 50 years to being witnesses to the risen Christ, which is the, I believe, mistaken idea that faith is something that we should just kind of keep to ourselves, that it's, it's a personal thing, it's a private thing. We shouldn't go around talking about it or anything like that. And as we look at the scriptures this morning, What I hope I'll show you is that that idea that faith is something we should just keep to ourselves is not a Christian idea. It's certainly not part of the teaching of Jesus. It's not even an Anglican tradition. In fact, that idea comes right out of the secular, atheistic, unbelieving, humanist agenda. And the, and the great tragedy is that for the last 50 years, the church has swallowed it, or much of the church has swallowed that, hook, line, and sinker. But let's, let's go to the text now and, and have a look and see what we might learn about being 
witnesses to the risen Jesus. Um, the, if you turn to Acts, which is um, uh, the, the reading opposite in the service sheets, if you've got a Bible with you, it's on page 1093. But before we look at the text in detail, I just want to say a little bit about the book of Acts, because it's a really special book, and we're going to be looking at it over the coming weeks. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, says, points out the fact that we have four stories, four accounts of the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus in the four Gospels. But we only have one account of the birth and the spread and the growth of the, of the early church, and that's in the book of Acts. And so it's very special. Um, John Calvin, the great theologian, said that Acts is like a kind of treasure trove. And the great preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said, live in this book. He said, live in this book. It's the greatest tonic known to man in the spiritual realm. And although Acts is unique, it doesn't actually stand alone. Because the Acts of the Apostles is actually volume two of a New Testament work written by Luke. The first volume is Luke's Gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The second volume is the birth and the growth of the church, the Acts of the Apostles. Let me just take you, if you, um, I don't know if Martin can get it up quickly enough, I didn't warn him beforehand, but I just thought, if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn to 1025, I'll read it anyway, the first chapter of Luke, because I want to show you, the, show you a comparison here. The very first words from Luke's Gospel say this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And this is the crucial bit. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that's the person he's writing to, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. You see, if we're to be witnesses to the risen Christ, witnesses need good facts, hard information, solid foundations from which to be witnesses. And Luke declares that he has researched everything he's written to the nth detail, to make sure it's absolutely certain the things that he's written down. Now, if you flick forward to the first chapter of Acts, the first two verses go like this. In my former book, Theophilus, note the same person he's writing to, in my former book, obviously referring to his gospel, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Uh, so you can clearly see that it's a two-volume work. And Luke gives us this treasure. That's why John Calvin says it, was, it is the greatest treasure trove. Well, why should we believe what, uh, Luke when he says that he's researched everything about Jesus' life and death and what have you? Um, to, to the nth degree. And did he really have an opportunity to? Well, the answer is absolutely. In fact, 
he had the best circumstances you could imagine in which to do it. For two reasons. Firstly, he was the travelling companion of Paul the Apostle. It seems likely that Paul needed a doctor to travel with him. Luke was a doctor and a very well-educated man. And he travelled with Paul on his second and third missionary journeys. And so, as you read the book of Acts, you get these wonderful accounts, which are almost like Luke has just picked stuff out of his own journal and dropped it into the Acts of the Apostles. You just get things like, the next morning we boarded a boat to Troas, and we crossed over to whatever, it, whatever the place is. And, and, it, and it reads so first-hand eyewitness. It's wonderful. And remi- remembering that Luke spent probably two, three, four years, maybe more, with Paul the Apostle, he was able to get first-hand account from Paul of Paul's meeting the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road, of Paul talking to Peter and James and, and John and the Jerusalem apostles. He had years in which to take down all of these details. But the really interesting and tantalizing thing is that in Luke's gospel, he records things which no other gospel writers record and which could only have been known either by Jesus' mother Mary or by some very close friends of hers. And the interesting thing is that after the third missionary journey, Paul, with Luke, returned to Israel, and Paul was arrested. And in Jerusalem and in Caesarea, Paul spent two years imprisoned in Israel before they eventually travelled on to Rome. And so Luke had two years in which to either twiddle his thumbs or to travel around Israel and meet eyewitnesses of Jesus. And it seems very likely, therefore, that he might have met with the elderly, probably widowed by then, Mary, mother of Jesus. And that's why he has these extraordinary detail and eyewitness accounts of Mary's experience of of Jesus and bringing up Jesus and meeting her cousin and so on. And so it is a real treasure trove. Luke acts... Is, is an amazing detail into the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the early church. So now, let's turn to our passage in Acts this morning and just have a quick look at what it says that we might be able to glean about being witnesses to the risen Jesus. So, P- Peter, um, th- this, this account is Luke's recording of Peter's speech to the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. It's an excerpt from Peter's speech. And he says three really important things. He reminds the people of three really important things. In verse 22, he reminds them of the life and ministry of Jesus. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. In other words... He's just reminded them, remember, Jesus did these amazing things. He healed people, he multiplied food, he tamed nature, and you saw it. Many of you saw it. He's reminding them of the amazing things God did through Jesus. Then in verse 23, he reminds them of Jesus' death. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Interesting, he doesn't say that Jesus was handed over by Judas. 
Obviously he was, but he says he was handed over by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. It was what God always intended. And with the help of wicked men, that would have been the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Why is that important? Well, he's reminding them that Jesus really did die. And that he was buried. And that's really important because in verse 24, the next verse, he reminds them of the third thing. And that is that God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death. Do you know that word, John Stott says that word agony in the Greek means literally childbirth pains. The, the kind, of, kind of agony of a woman in labour. And so it speaks of regeneration, of, of recreation, rebirth, of, of life coming out of death. And then this beautiful phrase, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. That's, isn't that lovely? Death couldn't keep its hold on Jesus. Why? Because God's love is so much more powerful than the power of evil or even death that he overcame it. And having said that, Peter then goes on to remind the crowds he's speaking to that actually the first witnesses to the resurrection were not even the apostles, but the prophets who lived hundreds of years before. Because David... King David foretold the resurrection in Psalm 16, and he quotes from it in verse 25 onwards. David said about him. I won't read it all, but if you just look at verse 27, he says, the second half says, you will not let, sorry, you will not let your Holy One see decay. And Peter's pointing out that this is a prophecy about the Messiah. It's a prophecy about Jesus. His body wouldn't see decay because he would rise from the dead. The Holy One would not see decay and will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. And Peter goes on to point out in that passage that he could, David couldn't have been talking about himself because they all knew that King David was well and truly buried in Jerusalem and still was. <coughs> and so... He was talking about Jesus. And he finishes up by saying, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. That's where those words come from, this verse. We are all witnesses. So if we're to accept that we are all witnesses, then how does that work? How does that play out? How are we to actually be witnesses? Well, it's not that easy to witness to the risen Christ as the first disciples found out. Because in our gospel reading, they failed even to witness to their friend Thomas. Jesus had appeared to the ten others. Um, Thomas hadn't been there at the time, but when he turned up, they said, we've seen Jesus. And he said, I don't believe you. So it was, it's not that easy, even if you're a disciple of Jesus. But actually, there are some really easy ways in which we can be witnesses to the risen Christ. And we can be witnesses simply by inviting someone to church, by telling them how much church means to us and saying, why don't you come along, dip your toe in the water? Do you know, we have an, we have an absolutely wonderful witness who's going to be thoroughly embarrassed by me now. 
um, who is, um, a, is, is, is a, one, of our, one of our youngest and most sprightly members of the congregation, Edie. Do you know, Edie, in the last 12 months, Edie has, for at least two people, invited them to St. Matthew's, and they have come and stayed. Now, I don't know how good you are at mathematics, but if we all did that, the church would triple in size in one year. Thank you, Edie, for being such a great witness. That's an easy thing to do. We can witness to the risen Christ by simply saying, why don't you come along and and try it out? The second thing you could do is that we're starting up an alpha course in a couple of weeks' time. And the second thing you could do is to say to a friend or a family or a family or a person or a colleague, do you know, I did the Alpha course a while ago. It was really good fun. I, it was really interesting. I got a lot out of it. Why don't you come along with me and try the first evening and see if you like it? Don't have to sign up for the whole thing. Just come and try. That's another easy way to be a witness to the risen Jesus. And there are many other ways. We can invite people to other things, like senior lunch, great fellowship, good food, and a little bit about the love of God as well, and many other things that we do at St. Matthew's. Another way of being a witness to the risen Christ is through prayer, by offering to pray for someone. We've been praying recently for a friend a friend of, some, of a member of the congregation here who was very, very, very ill on life support. And to be honest, I think the family had been told that, that they were likely um, to switch the machines off um, because there was just, just no signs of, of life. And she asked us to pray. And when I got the, the phone call... I walked through. I, w- I came across to connect because the ladies were meeting for the connect meeting in the chapel, and I said, "This is what's going on. Would you, would you pray?" And do you know, within a few hours of us starting to pray, the signs changed, and they decided to, uh, not to switch her off. And today she's recovering. And not every prayer is answered like that. But prayer is such an amazing witness to the risen Christ. Another simple way to witness is by simply acts of loving kindness. By going out of our way, sacrificially doing things for people that they wouldn't expect to be surprisingly good news in their lives. These are all different ways that we can be witnesses for Christ. And so as we, today we have our annual meeting, and we're part of that, we're going to have a new PCC and a, and a, a new, uh, 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 if you like, uh, a new setup with the church. But one of the things we're doing is we're taking forward our mission action planning. Because we want as many people in the parish to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I just ask all of you, as you come up for communion today, you know, the N.T. Niles, who was a Sri Lankan uh, evangelist, said this. He said that sharing the good news of Jesus with someone is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. 
So as you come up for communion today, hold that in your heart and be thinking, who could I invite along to church in the next few weeks? Who could I invite to the Alpha course? Who could I invite to senior lunch? Who could I offer to pray for? Who could I do an act of loving kindness for? Because I believe that sharing the good news of Jesus with someone else is the best service that one human being can do for another. Amen.